Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl Podcast. I am your host, Kristen. We are continuing our awesome October celebration lineup of guests today with none other than Spooky Bee Paranormal's Hannah Bird. She has been one busy human since we last spoke, so we get to hear about some recent investigations she's been involved with at Crescent Sanatorium and Prison and... Green County Poorhouse. Really, really interesting evidence and stories you're gonna love. Hannah also joined me after the show to talk about Ouija boards and misconceptions people have about using them. She's collected them for a while now, so it being so close to Halloween, had to take the opportunity to ask her her thoughts on the subject. And I also share a fun little story of a troll who didn't like what I had to say about Zozo. Catch our chat over on the Patreon, folks. All right, let's get to our show. Please enjoy my conversation with paranormal investigator Hannah from Spooky Bee Paranormal. I have a very special return guest joining me today. I mentioned it on the last episode, so I hope you all have been really looking forward to this just as much as I have. Please welcome back to the show, Hannah from Spooky Bee Paranormal. Hi, I'm so happy to be back. Yay! Yes, I'm so happy to have you back. Um, I uh, remember our last conversation was just a lot of fun, and uh, afterwards just being like, I I gotta have her back on. I gotta get her back. That was definitely some of the most fun I've had on interviews. So I was very, very excited when you asked me to come back. Yay! Well, I shall try not to disappoint today. My standards are set very low. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> okay, we're on Zoom again. I'm noticing a difference of location. Where Where are you? Did you move? I did not move. I actually just moved my couch from one side of the house to the other. So... <laughs> That was the view you had last time. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I was worried there for a second that you'd gotten rid of some of your Ouija boards. Oh, no. I don't know. Did I have my doll when we talked to you last time? Your doll? doll. No. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) She's wonderful. I love her. Oh, I'm I'm nervous. I'm very nervous right now. She's a beautiful, beautiful soul. And I love her. So... This is Aveline. Whoa. Oh and she, the doll herself is originally from, uh, it was estimated about the 1930s. Okay. Um, she's very beautiful. She's very sweet. And Abilene is the name of the woman who inhabits her. She was a young woman who lived in 
the South who passed away from cancer and left behind her two little boys. And she's very loving and very protective and very sweet. She doesn't do much other than sometimes she sings or hums. Um, oh, oh, but that's all? That's all? Um, I, have <laughs> seen, I have seen the figure of a young woman in my apartment more than once, which I'm assuming is Abilene. Uh-huh. But I got her because when I found her, um, I had accidentally brought some very, very dark, dark stuff into my house back from Ohio. And I brought her in to try and balance that out. I thought having a very protective motherly spirit in the house would be good. Mm-hmm. And it proved right. <laughs> She's very, her presence in the house is much appreciated. Wow. Where did you find her? eBay. <laughs> oh. I love it. <laughs> they sent her previous owners sent me with um, this little jar of herbs for her as a gift and an offering and they sent me like a whole handwritten note with her backstory and who the spirit was and what they've experienced and their contact information in case I experienced anything and wanted to get rid of her and I was like (laughs) (laughs) the doll is too pretty like I'm not getting rid of the doll no matter what like I believe it's here to stay and I'm okay with that (laughs) yeah yeah well the spirit that inhabits her made a very good choice yeah she's beautiful She's gorgeous. And I I love her. As long as she doesn't start pulling any Annabelle crap, we'll be okay. Yeah. She doesn't moving by herself yet. And I'm very happy with that. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. And she does not look anything like the Annabelle, either the fake one or the real Raggedy Ann doll that it was based on. I, yeah, I swore to myself that I would never go near a Raggedy Ann doll after learning about Annabelle and like, you know, seeing the Conjuring films and then learning about the actual case of Annabelle, I swore up and down. I was like, no matter how much money you want to give me, I will never go near a real Raggedy Ann doll. (laughs) And that's so sad. It must be the, the creator must be rolling in his grave because, you know, he created those, the, the Raggedy Ann and Andy, uh, because I think the story is he, he lost his own child and, and wanted to, yeah, create this thing to like comfort, you know, comfort others and, and give children like companionship and all that. Oh, it's so sad. And like, before I knew about Annabelle, like I loved Raggedy Ann dolls. I thought they were adorable, like the little braids and the little rosy cheeks. And then after Annabelle, I was like, they are Satan's spawn. You can't, nope, they should not exist. I don't want it. (laughs) Well, all right. Well, nice to meet you, Abilene. And uh, you have another new addition to your family. Izzy. Yes, I back in June, I rescued um, a pupper. She's a two year old beagle and American foxhound mix. But I'm suspicious she has some kind of lab in her because she does not have some of the temperaments of a hound or a beagle at all. But um, she is the most needy, most loving dog I have ever met in my life. Oh, well, when you showed me, uh, showed her to me on the uh, video, she, she, you can just tell, you know, sometimes looking at them, those eyes, you know, they just say, uh, speak volumes. Oh yeah. She's mastered the puppy eyes. And if she does, she's a little bit mischievous and by a little, I mean a lot. She does this thing where if she knows she does something bad, she'll sit down, like cross her paws in front of her, give you her puppy eyes and then smile at you. Um, and it kills me every time. Um, it doesn't work on my boyfriend, her dad, who, uh, she loves him, but she's very like timid around him because I'm 
I'm, I'm a sucker. Like I'll discipline her sometimes, but she gives me that look. I'm like, anything you want. I love you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you. You're just, you're everything to me. You're the world. I love you. And then her dad's like, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> you well they'll uh they'll find their speed i have no doubt um does she i'm curious does she ever see uh and hear the things that you uh spoke about um yes she does um i i think there might be something that in my in my house that i'm not aware of that she's picked up on too she doesn't show any kind of fear as some dogs do it's more you can tell that something's going on Cause she'll stand in the middle of my living room with like full alert, full paw, like hound mode up tail back, like looking around. And usually she'll look right at my mantle where all my art objects are. So that's when I'll break out like my ovulus or, you know, something and start like listening. And she's very sensitive though. Like emotionally like me, I think she's a little bit of an empath because, you know, some dogs that I've met, like, they can really only tell when you're like really angry or really upset or really happy, like the extreme end of emotions mm -hmm. picks things up automatically. Like when there's the slightest shift in my emotion, she's totally alert to it. And I think it's the same for the spirits in the house. Cause I'll notice shifts in her emotions too. Even when I'm totally fine. Cause I work from home now. So I'm home all the time mm -hmm. and I'll just see her just like, suddenly perk up and then start like whining a little bit and get lower to the ground and oh wow I'm very submissive and very concerned so I have a feeling I don't know if like something in my house is like communicating with her or like likes her and it's like attracted to her presence or not but you know you never you never know what exactly what they're picking up on and they don't know whether they should be frightened or, or happy to see it or you know what what energy means and and that um they don't know until something happens i guess to them just like they would in the physical world well yeah and i think animals and the, the paranormal are always like so interesting to me it's like I remember the the only encounter I've ever had with like an animal in the paranormal was at Waverly Hills when I talk about the the dog who was murdered with it um, unfortunately with its owner in, inside Waverly Hills and you know there's the spirit of the dog who still walks around Waverly Hills sometimes you can hear the collar and hear the little paw pads and so like ever since hearing that story I've always had like well not always but ever since that I've I've really started to wonder more about like animals and their connection to the paranormal. Mm -hmm. Which I think it's really cool because obviously animals, dogs, especially pick up on stuff that we don't. Right. And I wish more locations would allow us to bring dogs to them, which I totally get why not. They're destructive little pieces of crap sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it would be really interesting to see like what results we can get if we you know, use dogs and follow their instincts instead of ours. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I asked that question to uh, Rob Gutrow. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's a, he's a, a pet medium. He's a medium just in general, but he does pet readings as well. And, and he has an investigation team. And I asked him that like, Hey, do you ever, you know, bring dogs in since they're so like sensitive to this stuff and, and his, he he said no and i understand his reasoning just because um you know it might it might frighten them and overly frighten them and stress them out and i i totally respect that absolutely um but i would think like if you've got a dog that's like 
cool about it, you know, chill and, and maybe not like all investigations or, you know, it's just, it's interesting to know that they are in fact, like it is scientifically speaking, they are in fact seeing and hearing things that you will never as a person, you will never see and hear these things. So they're picking up on these extra levels. And I just find that sensitivity so fascinating. Oh yeah. I mean, like with Izzy, it always, it makes me wonder if she has experienced this before with like her previous owners or whatnot. Cause like, again, when she first came in the house and I started noticing it, no fear in her whatsoever. It was just straight up like alertness and curiosity. Like she was just very intently listening and paying attention to something. Yeah. But I couldn't see. So it, it makes me wonder, because obviously I don't know anything about her background other than, you know, what her previous owners had told me, which, you know, was all good stuff. But I imagine there was some not so great stuff, too, that they just didn't want to share. Oh, well, welcome, Izzy, as well. Um, so on to the subject of paranormal investigation. Since we last talked, uh, I think you have been up to some things. You said you were going to go investigate uh two specific locations um i'd love to hear about those your experiences there and if you've uh, done anything else in the interim yes so since we last talked i went to i think i had just gotten back from waverly hills last time we had the chat and since then i went to green county poorhouse and crescent uh sanatorium and prison out in pennsylvania and both of those back-to-back Again, I'm so stupid. I need to stop doing back-to-back investigations because it just wrecks my body and my mind. And like, I'm completely out of it for like three weeks afterward. I'm like, nobody talked to me. I can't do, I can't function. Takes it out of you. It really does. Um, Both of those were absolutely incredible investigations, both brand new locations to me and ones that I'd really wanted to go to for a while. But I have to say out of the two, I have the most to say about Green County Poorhouse because it was absolutely insane. Like, I think it was probably one of the most active, consistently active locations I've ever been to. And it's also one of the more, one of the smallest locations I've ever been to. Cause it is just, uh, it's, it's, it's still a big house in terms of like, maybe on the like larger end of like modest houses, but it's still quite a small area to be investigating in. And (laughs) the very creepy part is in the basement which is, you know, just has dirt floor, stone walls, very, very, very creepy, very not lovely and not a place I would want to spend an extended period of time in. There is a room that has iron cuffs in it attached to chains where one of the staff would chain patients to if they were misbehaving as a punishment. Oh my God. What? Yes. It's not pretty. It's something that I fully disagree with. And I always have a harder time investigating places that have a strong connection to mental health and mental health treatment, like poor houses and lunatic asylums and hospitals and that kind of stuff. Cause I have a very deep personal connection to those kind of relations to those kind of locations just from my own past. And it's always harder for me to deal with spirits who have been mistreated for their mental health. Um, I was with charm city paranormal and wolf paranormal who are both amazing, amazing investigators. I love them both. And we did an Estes session where Mike from Charm City and I uh, both took turns chaining ourselves to the the cuffs and, you know, the others would ask questions. And I, at one point, when I was chained up, (laughs) 
felt like I just got punched in the gut. Like I just felt the entirety of the wind just get knocked out of me. Like I almost stumbled backward. And the whole entire time, I just felt like a sense of just pure fear and pain, emotional pain. Wow. So you were picking up, you, are you historically, do you usually have like some of those empathic, like that sponge capability? So I, I've always been very emotionally in tune with other people. And last, last almost two years ago now, when I went to Waverly Hills for the first time, that was my first huge scale investigation that I've ever done. And I, didn't really understand what it was to be an empath or what that really entailed in terms of like the paranormal. And I was not prepared for feeling all these feelings that were definitely not mine. And I had no control over. And it was very overwhelming. Cause like one second I'd be fine. I was excited. I was very just having a really good time. And then all of a sudden I was pissed off. I was super aggressive and like super frustrated and angry, like out of the blue was not my anger whatsoever. And then in another minute, I was shaking and crying and upset and like terrified for my life over nothing. And the, the one of the guys who I was investigating with at that point, um, his name was Steve Brott. He pointed out and he was like, are you an empath? Like, do you like know what that is? And I was like, I know I don't really know what that means. And he's like, you should research it a little bit more because I think you might be. And he was right. The more I kind of researched with it, the more I really resonated with it. And then when I started investigating more after that, I really played with that and tried to figure out like, is there something I could do to like purposefully tap into it? And I haven't figured that out yet, but it's a lot less scary now knowing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's gotta be so exciting though, to be able to add something like that, that you never really thought about before to your toolbox now as an investigator, it's just extra confirmation. It is. It's really cool. It's also very overwhelming. I think whenever you have like that extra sense or that extra antenna, it's always kind of like a gift and a curse because again, it always invites things that you maybe don't want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Izzy, she's messing with the <laughs> knocking your video over. Get down. Izzy, get down. Well, okay. This is your view now. <laughs> <laughs> she desperately wanted to be in the show so we'll we'll have her okay all right so what uh, aside from the estes method uh in that that session that she did um what were some of the other occurrences at the poorhouse yeah well first of all we were run out of the main house by a bat you know the minute the bat came in it's that house is now it's it's not it's not our house we're not allowed um and on the property there are cabins that uh I forget what the exact purpose was, so I don't want to state false information, but while we were waiting for the bat to make its way out of the main house, we decided that we were going to go investigate in some of the cabins. And we had the DR-60 with us. We had our REM pods. We had a K2 meter. We didn't have a ton of equipment. So we set up in one of the back cabins and we were like, let's, you know, run the DR-60. We'll turn on the REM pod. We were sitting at this table in the corner that had like a bench around it. And we turned on the REM pod and calibrated it. And we were like, let's just let the DR run for a minute. This was one of the craziest EVPs I've ever personally captured. And it was silence. You could hear a little bit of feedback, like chit chat that you couldn't really make out. And then all of a sudden, clear as day, we just heard, help me. Whoa. Like, Whoa. 
very like whispered and like none of us had said anything. And we were like, what the hell? Did you, did you post that anywhere? I feel like I probably did somewhere on my Instagram. Maybe I thought I did and I didn't. I have it. I'll send it to you if I didn't post it. Oh my gosh. Yes. I would love to hear it. And then we were like, we got to like ask questions now. Cause like, that's crazy to us. And so we started the recorder again. We were like, who are you? Like, who needs help? Like, do you have a name? Like what's going on? And we heard again, it was like, help me. And then I'm Ed. And then at this point, our REM pod started going off like crazy. And there was, we were all far enough away where we weren't setting it off. Right. And I forget if it was Mike or Wolf Paranormal who said it, but they were like, okay, if you're here, light up the REM pod blue for no, purple for yes. And immediately the lights turn purple. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yes, this is just like one thing after another after another. Okay. I'm not a huge fan of REM pods because I think that there's just, it's just a motion sensor. I think there are so many better motion sensors out there, but I had honestly never thought to use it like that before because there are colors that it lights up the closer you get to it. Yeah. And I thought that was a genius call to try. Yeah, to no, that, that's a fantastic idea because you're not just giving them just, just, okay, you know, just this or this, but you can, you can give them like a, an option of how to respond. Exactly. And, you know, we were spewing different questions and we were like, is this Ed? And then it lit up blue. And we were like, oh, is there more than one person here we should be aware of? And, you know, it starts lighting up different colors and then it settles on purple again. And so we were like, what the heck is happening? Because like none of us had ever seen REM pod activity like this before ever. Right, right. I don't think I've heard of any other like this. Yeah. And then I think, I think again, like Mike and uh, Wolf Peril will come, Ethan, Ethan is his name, coming up with all the genius ideas. We were watching the REM pod because after a while it just started like lighting up again and again and like shutting off and lighting up again, shutting off and lighting up again. And then Ethan goes, it kind of like, it looks like Morse code, doesn't it? Oh, interesting. Okay. Another genius idea, like too bad none of us like knew anything about Morse code because I would have loved to test that theory because there are so many, you know, equipment pieces like that in the paranormal. And I've, again, I've never heard anybody offer that kind of idea of like, well, what if the spirit is trying to communicate with, <laughs> with us using Morse code? Did she just hear that? <laughs> So <laughs> I'm staying calm, but sometimes I get um, some spiders <laughs> that go, and they're, they're big. Yeah, the fun, uh, the fun of living in Washington State again. Y'all got some big ass spiders here. Oh, yeah, we do. Just the other morning, I woke up and there was a fat one probably about like this big right in my hallway, right where I needed to walk. And, you know, naturally, instead of staying calm, I just started throwing everything I had. in. <laughs> like, I'm fine with ghosts. Like you can throw all the ghosts at me. The minute you put a spider or a bat in front of me, I will leap out of a window. <laughs> you know, bat. I, I like bats. I mean, you know, I like the distance between myself and them, but they're really, they're really cute. Like they're very uh, cuddly, um, loving little creatures. I know, I know. I see your face. I know. Oh no, that's not the reason why they are adorable. But every time I have run into a bat, it has woke up and chose violence and like come right at me. 
like at Green County, when we were in like, we were run out of the cabin, like pretty much right after the last story I told you, because this bat came and it was like circling the table <laughs> coming at all of us. And uh, one of the guys we were investigating with literally like army crawled and like rolled across the floor of the cabin to get our equipment because we all ran out so fast. <laughs> oh. And then at Weekly Hills, when I was in the main uh, hallway going towards the lobby past the morgue, I got hit in the face by a bat. <laughs> oh, right in the face. Oh, oh no. it was so scary. It was so scary. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I could imagine my, one of my sisters, when I was growing up, I remember this story and uh, yeah, she's never forgotten it as, as you'll be able to imagine she was sleeping and a bat came in the window and she used to have this long tussled hair and it got in the hair and stuck and they had, they had to like cut her hair to get it out. It was, yeah, terrible, terrible. All the spooky things this October. That's what we're talking about. All right. So this other one, and I'm just so excited to talk to you about these two specific locations because I may be an idiot, but I, I haven't heard anybody talking about these particular locations. So this is this is new territory, the Crescent Sanatorium and Prison. Yeah. So this place is absolutely massive and it's really an up and coming location. It's it's gotten much more attention now through um, shows and <laughs> social media. <laughs> I just saw through Izzy. <laughs> I saw through her at your face. <laughs> Get down. You're done. That's <laughs> you heck. No. This show has gone off the rails, folks. <laughs> um, but, so it's a fairly newer location in terms of gaining popularity in the paranormal community. It's not like new by any means, like the buildings. Some of them are more modern, but beautiful, beautiful location in uh, Pennsylvania. It's got several buildings you can go into. Uh, you have access to the jail cells, the medical wards. Um, the chapel is absolutely stunning. We got unlucky because the minute we got there back in May, it hit a thunderstorm. So we were all drenched. Because there's quite a long distance to walk. Yeah, yeah. I, I was admiring a picture that you took of the uh, the whole building and the, the nasty storm clouds overhead. Just very ooh, atmospheric. Love it. Yes. I mean, I was very excited because I was one of the only ones who hadn't who hadn't been to Crescent at that point. It was like me and two others who hadn't been, and uh, we did a private overnight investigation. It was amazing. It was surprisingly active. There were, you know, certain buildings that didn't have much activity, certain buildings that did, but like one of the, like the standout moments for me was we were walking down the hill towards base camp and we heard a slam, like banging metal against metal that like echoed. Like we were quite far away from the building that we heard it from. And we were like, yo, <laughs> what was that? So we all turned around and went back and we were like looking, trying to find the source of the noise. And leading into like the prison guard station i don't know what you would call it prison guard station guard station sure um, yeah that we'll go with that there is a massive metal door with like a grate covering it and if you slam it it was the exact noise that we had heard and it was windy but it was by no means windy enough to move the door that strong by itself 
And so one of our friends stayed in the building and we all started walking away and we'd yell at him like, slam the door. And he would slam it to see if we could replicate the same sound. And it was the same sound like over and over again. And it was like, what the heck moved that heavy metal door hard enough to slam it that loudly? Yeah. Yeah. Were you able to capture any of that on, on film or audio? I didn't, but I'm pretty sure one of my friends must have, like we had a lot of people filming that night. I was just an idiot and didn't have my camera rolling at that point. <laughs> Always miss that window. Yeah. I, it's so far and few that I get like the good pieces of evidence on camera because like the minute I'm like, all right, nothing's happening. I'm going to, my phone's about to die. I'm going to shut it off, put it on the charger. Something happens. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> at this point, I think they do it on purpose. <laughs> yeah. They're toying with you, girl it makes me mad um but I think honestly just my favorite thing about Crescent was just the variety of buildings that you had and the amount of stuff you could do and we were in one of the uh cell block buildings how the cell blocks work is they have a main floor where there's like tables and benches where prisoners could come and sit and eat food and hang out and then two levels two two levels of cells and we were all on the main floor, kind of spread out, just listening. And we kept seeing this like very dark shadow up in the corner of uh, one of the jail cells. And none of us could, we all saw it, but none of us could figure out like if we were seeing like a shadow person or just like a reflection. And so one of our friends went up there by himself and he immediately felt like something grab him on the shoulder. Ooh. And so. He was like, naturally, he was like, okay, done. Not doing that again. And so me and another person went up when we were standing there, nothing was really happening to us. And then naturally they decided to leave us alone. Mm -hmm. And so they just ran and left us alone. It was so great. It was so fun. I had so much fun with that. (laughs) (laughs) We knew because like they were, they were stalling, trying to get us to stay put because we were like, no, we're going to come down. They were like, no, 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 stay up there a little bit longer. And then I looked at my friend and I was like, their voices are getting further away. And he's like, yep, let's go. (laughs) And I was like, so rude. Like it was getting dark too. So we couldn't like see like two feet in front of our faces either. We were like, I don't want it. (laughs) Yeah, it was not fun at all. But that was like such a chaotic and such a fun weekend. Like even, I think we had Green County Poorhouse until like 4 a.m. And by like two, my group was like done. Mm-hmm. we were like there's been so much activity like it was one of those investigations where you ended early just because you're so satisfied with everything you caught mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like I I have a far and few of those investigations but that night we were like this is it like this was great like let's go home and get more than two hours of sleep <laughs> now with all the uh, like evidence that you capture at these locations do you where where do you post it are you on YouTube is that like your main like where you share all of this I'm you I'm most active on Instagram and TikTok to be I thought about starting a YouTube channel but I just I just don't have the time to like maintain it and really put out content that I would be super proud of and also I'm like a technological idiot like I don't I don't know how to edit things I don't know how to like splice and put back together footage 
I guarantee you anything that I would put out, I'd have to have like a 10 minute apology video, like following it to be like, I really didn't know what I was doing. Please don't be mad at me. Like, <laughs> oh no, I'm sure it wouldn't be that bad. But I, I am convinced every paranormal team should, uh, yeah, invest some time into looking for like an actual, an editor. Yeah, somebody who can just take all your stuff and make it pretty and presentable yeah. and all of that. Cause that's, you know what, that's that's half the uh, battle of getting people to watch your stuff is it's got to look nice. It's got to look good and presentable and cinematic. It does. And like, I've toyed with the idea of like really starting a brand with this, but to be honest, like I've seen kind of what happens when brands blow up and it's, it's like, I don't want to feel like I have that obligation. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I love doing the paranormal just for fun. Yeah. And it's like, I love being able to contribute when I can, but I don't ever want to feel like I have an obligation that then turns into, oh no, I'm not getting enough content on this investigation. Do I need to start like uh, embellishing or you know, dramatizing or possibly faking evidence so people will still watch my stuff. Right, right. And that, you know, that's a big leap that I think um, in this world specifically, paranormal investigators, or if they have a team, something like that, they really have to consider, like, if you're thinking ahead and you do see yourself doing this in the future, and maybe this is all that you want to do, you want to make money from this, you want this to be your career, like at some point you're going to have to make that leap make that decision to i'm all in this is all that i do my world revolves around this um yeah and and hopefully fingers crossed you don't ever have to fake evidence and you know we, we know they do it on the shows like yeah absolutely yeah but it's like i feel like when it comes to like where i stand like morally with the paranormal i would rather have no evidence at all and tell my authentic experience and paint an actual picture of what it is like to investigate in the paranormal community yeah. that have no evidence and have several thousand viewers or potentially millions of viewers who will get frustrated and upset if I post a video with no evidence explaining that no, you don't always get evidence when you investigate and that's okay because spirits don't run on your schedule, you run on theirs. And whether they decide to show themselves to you in one way or another is on them, it's not on you. Yeah, they're, they're not going to perform on command for you. They don't do tricks for you. Um, yeah, and you just have to kind of kind of go with it and what they what if they want to communicate what they want to give you. That's that's what you get. But I, I do appreciate you wanting to do this because of the passion of it. Like that's because that can get kind of left by the wayside too. the longer and longer you do it, people start doing it for the wrong reasons. And it's like, no, just, you know, whenever you lose motivation, whenever you lose excitement about it, just take it back to why you started in the first place. Yeah. I mean, recently I took a bigger step back from the paranormal community because I wanted to focus more, you know, on local things and local paranormal stuff and like really keep it closer to home because with all the traveling and all the money I was putting into it. And unfortunately you meet some not great people in the paranormal community who don't treat you the best and end up really making you lose your spark a lot. You have to make a lot of changes. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you talking about para unity or the lack thereof, or is it something specific? I, it's more something specific. I never really paid a whole bunch of attention to the drama surrounding para unity. And whatnot. I, I know it was a big thing 
And frankly, my head is still kind of in the sand when it comes to that kind of stuff. Cause like I have my own little circle of people and, you know, I hear about things in the paranormal community because I have people who are much better connected than I am. But for me, I think paranormal investigating is a delicate enough thing mentally and physically for a person where you really need to have people by your side who 100% will have your back in the location and out of the location. And that was just something that I didn't have, which was a hard realization, but um, bringing it closer to home where I have people who I know are like that has done wonders for my mental health. Cause like I definitely, after this last weekend of investigating was not great mentally. I was exhausted. I was frustrated. I was really stressed out. And I really had to sit with myself and be like, I'm really losing my passion for this right now. What do I need to do to bring it back? Because I will always love investigating. It's always something that I want to do because it's always rewarding to then get to do stuff like this and like talk about it with people and like share it. But there's no point in doing that if you're stuck in a place where you don't have the passion for it. Sure. Yeah, no, I I cannot agree more. Um, Yeah, you know, I'd love to be part of your team. I want to support you in this any way I can. I know we talked um, actually about uh, Fort Warden. I mentioned it on on socials. Yeah, you were like, I'm down. And I was like, yes, I'd be so cool to have a team to go to that. I don't know if that's going to happen this month. Honestly, like I was telling you before recording, if uh, one more thing (laughs) is added to the plate, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. But speaking of Fort Warden, I mean, since we're both here in Washington, now, Washington State, uh, what to, what locations would you recommend just from personal experience? Oh my gosh, there are so, so many good ones. And I feel like Washington is one of those like states that doesn't get a lot of paranormal attention because you have states like West Virginia and New York and Ohio that have massive locations. We have some massive locations too that you should definitely investigate and check out. The biggest one that I always tell people about is St. Ignatius Hospital in Colfax, Washington. I'll be going there next month, actually. Really? Let me buy you some coffee that is in the next town over. Where do you, you're in Pullman? Pullman, yeah, yep, yep. I'm in Palouse, yeah. I've been there. I've been to the St. Ignatius. It's uh, it's creepy. amazing i've been several times now and i'm actually taking uh my boyfriend and our mutual friends on their first ever ghost hunt there next month oh wow and i just know it's going to be the funniest it's more purely for my entertainment because i've investigated there so much now i just really want to see them like lose their minds Mm -hmm. and like because they're all very macho guys and (laughs) 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 who've never been on a ghost hunt before and i love them all to death but I was like, I know one of you is either going to pee your pants, run out of the building or cry like a little girl. And I'm very excited to see that. Now, what what have you captured at St. Ignatius? So I've had a couple of experiences at St. Ignatius. And if you're looking for another person to talk to about St. Ignatius, who's a lot more knowledgeable than I am. Her name is Elizabeth. She goes by Elizabeth Paranormal on Instagram. She's a great, great friend of mine. She grew up in the area. So she grew up going to St. Ignatius and investigating there and she's wonderful but the spirits exa- uh, the, uh, English my god <laughs> <sighs> I get I talk really fast when I get excited about something and I really <laughs> stop doing that <laughs> same same <laughs> but the spirits at St. Ignatius 
can be very active and very not nice sometimes. Like, pardon my French, but the first time I ever went to St. Ignatius, I was in the nuns' quarters because it was run by the Sisters of Charity um, when it first opened. Um, and the nuns lived at the hospital and they had their own quarters at the very top floor. Very creepy, very not nice. Don't like that place at all. And I first went up there doing a walkthrough, no equipment, no nothing, just listening and getting a feel for the building. The minute I stepped into the nuns quarters and it was August. So I was wearing a tank top and jeans and all of my tattoos were on display. And I just hear a disembodied voice clear as day go, she's a whore. Oh God. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like my ex-mother-in-law, but you know, we don't need to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but it was the craziest experience. Cause like, I've honestly, that was the first time I'd ever heard a disembodied voice like that clearly before too. Yeah. And so I was like, Ooh, uh, we don't like that, uh, at all. Um, and then I ended up doing an Estes session up there later that night with uh, my friend, Mike and another guy who was investigating with us. And that is actually on my Instagram, at least clips of it are. And that is honestly like one of the most reactive, I guess is the word for it, places mm-hmm. that I can pin down in the hospital. And then there's a lot of shadow figures that you see. Ooh. Some of these shadow figures are just not nice. Like I was chased down a hallway by one last year and it came right out of a room at the end of the hall and charged me. And I was like, yo, <laughs> unprovoked I'm just trying to walk here like just let me go to the bathroom please I'm just trying to find my way out of here (laughs) (laughs) um and then uh, one of like the most known spirits in the hospital her name is Rose and she was a schizophrenic patient who lived at the hospital and she had a habit of talking to her finger like it was her friend it was really sad because at one point her meds stopped working. So she had to be moved to the violent patients ward, even though she herself was not inherently violent, um, which is just unfortunately how it worked back then. Yeah. And back then was not entirely that long ago. So I shouldn't be saying back then. Back in the day, like yesterday. <laughs> back in the day, like the 1960s. <laughs> um, but she has been known to make herself known by name on digital recorders and spirit boxes and ovuluses and Last time I was there, which was just back in August, I think, they actually had gowns, original hospital gowns from when the hospital was still, you know, in operation. Um, And so we were wearing them and we were sitting in Rose's room and that apparently did not make her happy because when we were under Estes session, me and Elizabeth, we kept getting responses like, take it off or that's insulting or don't like, rude Um, so we figured that obviously we were not trying to like make a mockery of Rose being in this hospital. We were trying to use the gowns as like trigger objects. Mm -hmm. Clearly it worked, but like not in the way we were intending. And I felt really bad because like, I never want to disrespect or negatively trigger any spirit whatsoever. Cause especially if like, maybe they don't even know they're dead and then you're doing, you're, you know, triggering them with these objects that make them like really confused or frustrated or upset right it's really disrespectful and like you don't want to do that you want to enter like every location that you go to with respect for its residents and its history and I felt really bad after that because that was not the response we were trying to get 
Oh, yeah, it's not like you were, you know, brought in like finger puppets for her, you know, here you go. Here's a gift, you know. Yeah, no, would never do that. You gotta, you gotta leave a beer for Rose while you're there. There's a TV in her room that you gotta leave an empty beer can on her for. Oh, no kidding. I forgot to do that last time. And so did Elizabeth. And we both felt really bad about that. (laughs) (laughs) We were making all kinds of mistakes on Rose's end last time we were there and make up for it. (laughs) Well, uh, on that location, um, you hear all kinds of like, kind of crazy stories that are probably so exaggerated just over the years or whatever. I've heard some interesting ones about that. They've got a little crematorium out like back. It's it's across the across the way in like the little exit door that's like in the hill or I can't remember exactly. It's like in a hill or in a wall and the little smoke stack thing going on over there. Have you have you interacted with that at all done anything over there? I actually haven't. I've heard the stories from people. The most interaction I got from there was we had a crackhead hiding in the bushes one night watching us investigate. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's that's always fun to, to stumble yeah. across. Sure. Nothing paranormal about that, but definitely unsettling for sure. Um, I don't know how much I believe about those stories. I will always take any story that is told to me or I've heard at face value until proven otherwise, which obviously you can't really prove or disprove anything in the paranormal because everyone has, not everyone, but almost always your experience is going to be different in some way. But I think a lot of it is probably just residual energy from the hospital because it's in such close proximity. Because in terms of like deaths at the hospital, like there's been no, and I know this is disappointing for a lot of people to hear, there's been no like fantastic murders or spectacular, mysterious deaths. Most, if not all deaths were patients at the hospital and there's a very real logical reason behind it. I personally think a lot of the reason there's so much hauntings happening there is just the pain that the patients experienced while they were alive there. I would like to think that any negativity there is just a manifestation of that pain and frustration that the patients felt while they were alive and is not a manifestation of that patient themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that yet there can still be, you know, that, that heaviness and that, that energy and stuff like, like what you were saying last time uh, was, you know, what kinds of locations can you always count on to, to have activity? And, and you said hospitals and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's exactly why, because even if there's no fantastical murders or somebody didn't hang themselves or something, you know, just dramatic like that, um, these, these places seem to just hang on to that ever present. Yeah. Like, like pain and, and anger of, of the patients that spent their, sometimes spent their last days there. Well, yeah. And I also think like, You know, I know I talked a little bit about this last time, but like how much Hollywood has changed the paranormal community. I think there's now an unspoken expectation, especially for a lot of newer investigators. Mm -hmm. If a place is going to be haunted, it has to have some fantastical backstory or terrifying backstory to it. Right. Which is not true. And I know it's really disappointing for a lot of people to hear that. Whereas like with St. Ignatius, it's like, yeah, people died here. Some were not under the best of circumstances, like a worker was crushed to death when the hospital was in its very early days, but he wasn't murdered, Mm. (laughs) a pure accident. And they were like, oh, but like his death went unsolved for a long time, right? It's like, no, they knew exactly what happened to him. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
that sucks. So, yeah, always kind of dig in for the, okay, but yeah, what, what really, you know, where, where's the drama? Give me, give me the juice here. And it's like, oh, I think you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Like investigate the paranormal for, for answers. And cause you're curious and you're passionate, do it that, do it for that. I mean, and I think like there's something to be said about those kind of locations where they do have fantastical and mysterious tragic deaths, like West Virginia penitentiary. Some of those deaths were like absolutely horrific. Like there was an inmate who was cooked alive in a pot in the kitchen during a riot. And I think like locations like that, like set a tone for a lot of investigators. Cause like those are the ones that you always hear about in like the paranormal shows and online. If you go looking for it, those are always going to be the locations that pop up first because they're the most interesting to read about. And I think a lot of locations like St. Ignatius fall through the cracks because of that. Like another Washington location that similar, no one like to our knowledge, no one has like had a fantastic death or like there's no crazy backstory to it, but it is very haunted. It's the most haunted house in the state is the Walker Ames house in Port Gamble. And it's a beautiful, beautiful house, beautiful stained glass windows. It's right on the water. We actually don't know why it's haunted. Like there's not enough information to be found about like the Walker Ames family to tell us why. Like we have theories about who haunts it and why, but it is one of my favorite locations now because of that, because we can go in with a non-biased opinion because we have no choice. And then we can build new theories and new guesses and new ideas about this house and its hauntings from that. And I think there should be more attention paid to those kind of locations because it allows for even more unbiased investigation. Well, that, uh, you know, that's an interesting point too, um, that, that a place like that where there really isn't a story, there isn't a history, there isn't really an obvious reason why there would be activity. Are you generally under the impression that everywhere is haunted possibly to some extent? I mean, I think so. Like, there's so many different types of hauntings that aren't talked about. And really the only type that gets the most of attention is, oh, this place is haunted because this man murdered his entire family or this man leapt to his death in a spectacular, tragic way because his wife cheated on it or like, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if somebody, even if you just bought a house and the owner was elderly and just passed away peacefully in her sleep, I think that, no matter how you die, you leave a piece of yourself behind, whether it be energy, whether it be your spirit, whether it be whatever. So, I mean, in my experience, I think to a certain extent, everywhere is haunted. But does that mean like in every house you go to, you're going to get activity? No. And that goes for like every location ever. Like you could still go to like Waverly Hills and have a completely silent night. But I think with like elemental hauntings, energy hauntings, spectral hauntings, poltergeist hauntings, like there's so many types of hauntings that are never addressed. It's illogical to think that there's not something in every place you go to because of like every state has hundreds and hundreds of years of history to it. Not all of which obviously is great, like especially going back to like when this country was founded. I imagine that there is still energy here everywhere and some of it just hasn't been tapped into or maybe we never will or maybe at some point it'll become more apparent. But I think it's very closed minded to assume that there is not some form of energy lingering in every place you go to. Awesome. Uh, 
Well, shoot. Uh, you know, uh, this this hour went by so freaking fast. It really did. Didn't it? it? It went fast last time, too. I cannot believe how sucked in we, we get into these conversations. It's just like, ah, give me more, give me more. So uh, we'll, we'll save uh, everything else for next time. But um, closing out the episode, I, I have some brand new questions for you because th this is where I get to the meat of it. You know, I, I really learned the real you, Hannah. Oh yeah. Hit me. <laughs> okay. So, um, is, is there a paranormal topic that you have an interest in, but you don't often get to talk about Ouija boards. Okay. Uh, let's talk about it on the Patreon. Everybody listening. I'm doing Patreon with Hannah. Catch it. Okay. <laughs> I cannot wait to ask you about it. I've got a good story for you. Oh, me okay. Too. Second question, best and worst reason to ghost hunt. The best reason to ghost hunt is because it is fun. You never have to have any kind of experience or reason to. It is fun. You gain a new perspective on life and death. Worst reason is because you want to be famous. Agreed. I think if you go in with the expectation that you're going to get fame and fortune from it, you don't have an authentic experience and you don't bring an authentic experience to the people that you're showing your evidence to. Uh, what are you doing for Halloween this year? My boyfriend and I are going to be going as uh, Shaggy and Velma from Scooby-Doo and our two mutual friends. Uh, I know one of them is going as a Jedi and we're trying to convince our friend Justin to go as Slave Leia from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just going to hang out at my house, have some drinks, watch some movies, eat a bunch of candy. It's going to nice. be fun. Nice. I, I do not recommend the new Jeepers Creepers. Um, I already I, saw it. It was really disappointing. It was. I just, I couldn't, from the start, I could not buy, and I'm so sorry. I know the actress did really well, but I could not buy that relationship to begin with. And I'm not going to give anything away. I was just like, Ugh. yeah. So, all right. Well, that sounds awesome. I love that. Um, I, I think I'll probably do something similar. Not the, not the Shaggy and Velma bit, but yeah, got to find some cool, something cool to wear yeah. and do some movies, of course. Um... All right, final question. In honor of October, in honor of Halloween. Yes. Tell me your favorite ghost story. Oh, my favorite ghost story. Does it have to be like a campfire ghost story or is it one that I personally experienced? You can do a personal experience. Okay. I think I'll actually tell one that was the favorite ghost story from my childhood. And by favorite, I mean the one that like just scared me so bad. And it was from the book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I don't know if you remember that one. Of course I do. Yes. Oh my gosh. So for those of you who don't know, this book, this specific publication of this book was actually banned in my school district when I was a kid because the illustrations were too scary. And my teacher actually had her own personal copy of it in her classroom, which I don't think the school knew about. And so uh, in my elementary school, it was a thing for you to like your friends to dare you like take the book home and like read it under your covers and the flashlight. And if you can still sleep that night, you get some serious school street cred kind of deal. <laughs> and there was one story in particular. It was the story of the babysitter who is, babysitting the kids in the house at night and she keeps hearing the phone ring and on the other end 
a guy keeps, you know, telling her, I don't remember exactly. I think it it's changed in different variations of what the guy says on the other end of the phone, mm-hmm. but it keeps getting more and more ominous and the kids are in bed and like the babysitter's calling the parents and being like, are you expecting somebody to keep calling the house? Cause I don't like this. This is very scary. And the ghost story ends with the phone ringing one final time being like, who are you? I'm going to call the police. You need to get out of the house. And he just goes, it's too late. I'm right behind you. And the murderer has been right behind her getting closer and closer to her inside the house the entire time. <sighs> oh, <laughs> I I don't remember that specific story, but that sounds so familiar. Those those it was a series of books. It was the are what? we talking about the one okay with the head that's like on the hill with the red yep. nose? Yep. Terrifying. And it was either that one or the story of the green ribbon. Whereas the the woman, she's a very beautiful young woman who wear who always wears a green ribbon around her neck. And, uh, you know, she falls in love with a man and he's never seen her without the green ribbon. And he's like, on our wedding night, like, please just let me take the ribbon off of your neck. And she's like, no, whatever you do, if you love me, you will not take off this green ribbon. And she sleeps with it. She showers with it. She does everything with it on her neck. And, you know, one night while she's asleep, he rolls over and he finally can't take it anymore. It's driving him nuts. It's caused so much strain in their marriage. He takes off the green ribbon and her head falls off. (laughs) (laughs) I know I shouldn't laugh about that. I just, I can't get over the fact that it was a kid's book. (laughs) You really let us 90s kids read this stuff and like really expected us not to have emotional damage from it. Girl, the the generation that we grew up in, like the yeah, the emotional damage and the trauma inflicted on us by the, all of the books and the movies and the cartoons, and I, I you know, I'm still dealing with that crap. Oh, I know. Like we had like what was it? Like Nick at Night had that show. It was like so stupid, scary. What was it called? It was like Are You Afraid of the Dark? Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, yeah, I watched it. We had Goosebumps. We had What's New Scooby Doo. We had oh god. well i think that uh is a great way to uh to wrap up our segment together that was wonderful thank you i appreciate the stories Um, and and the reminder i need to go take my you know prozac now (laughs) um all right so for the end here uh where would you like people to follow you you can find me most active on Instagram and uh, TikTok, which is such a spooky underscore B for both socials. Um, I have, like I stated, my next investigation will be at St. Ignatius on November 19th. Um, so keep an eye out for that. I'll definitely be going live and I'll definitely be posting photos and videos from that. Awesome. All right. And uh, do you have a piece of advice you would like to leave with us? Always keep an open mind. Because just because you've heard one thing about a location doesn't mean you won't have a completely different experience from somebody else. And that not everyone is meant to experience the paranormal in the same way. And if you keep an open mind to that, your experience will be so much better. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Hannah from Spooky Bee Paranormal. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me again. Hey, and stick around, stick around. We're going to do Patreon. Oh, yes, we are. (laughs) Thank you again, Hannah. Of course. 
Thank you, Hannah, for joining me once again. It was a pleasure and my face still hurts from laughing. I sincerely look forward to next time. If you are listening the day of this episode's posting, for those of us participating online in the Halloween costume contest hosted by Whitman County Humane Society, we have exactly one week left for that deadline to submit. Enter a clip of your cute little werewolf howling to be considered for the howling contest, or have them showcase their best trick for a treat. Or submit pics of doggos and or doggo parent teams all dressed up for the holiday to enter for best costume and best owner slash pet costume duo. Go big or go home, y'all. Send your submissions to fundraising at WhitmanPets.org. Entry for the online contest will be a $5 donation per entry. If you're located in the Palouse area, participating in person sounds kind of rad too. Enter all of these contests, get some memorable photos taken, jam out to a DJ, and more. It's going to be a costume party for dogs, benefiting dogs in need. For additional info, take a peek at the website, WhitmanPets.org. Rate and review the show on all platforms. It is so easy to do and takes but a moment of your time. You love the show? You want Mo? Rate and review. It's the kind thing to do. I'll see myself out. But we'll be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until next time, stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.